internet land. Welcome to Sentence and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. Today we have Devin on the show. He is a rapper based out of Portland, works at the Nike Climbing Gym, currently in Indiana, staying with family, riding out this whole pandemic that all of us are in. Devin is a rad dude, but before I get into Devin, I need to throw some love to some very rad people. My sponsors, Beyond Clothing. These guys have been sponsoring me since before I was me that is here talking to you today. They've been the one, number one people as far as brands, big companies that have been in my corner. And I can't tell you how much their clothing has made in a difference in my adventures. You got to be comfortable, you got to be cool, and you got to trust what you have in order to send. If you guys get a chance, go to Beyond Clothing, check them out, beyondclothing.com. Use the promo code ALWAYSREADY. Uh, you'll save a little coin. A little bit of that coin helps me in production and helps me help other people do rad things. But let's get into it. So Devin is a local rapper in Portland, as I said, works at the Nike Climbing Gym. He is a head route setter. He is a coach. And most importantly, he is a kindred spirit and a brother that has been in the game as long as I have been. And it is so nice to hear someone have some shared experiences, especially someone who matches your preferred pronoun, he, him, black, male. So guys, enjoyed the conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. We're going to be talking about coaching and just kind of two brothers just vibing. I, dude, I really enjoyed our previous conversation. I think it was really awesome and I think it was really rad. And I'm actually, I'm very happy we started talking about coaching because I think like, I think that's like, <sighs> I think it, you, you and Chris said something very important on your previous podcast. It's like, there is so much information on coaching and rock climbing out there that it's just like a sea of vomit. Like there's just so much yeah. out there. And I yep. think what people don't really talk about is coaching from the ask, from the perspective of the coach. But, and I, I, I know Chris talks about it a little bit and it's like of the coach coaching the athlete, but like, what is the thought process that goes through the coach's mind every day? Like, what are we like when we're walking into there? Like, how are we assessing these situations? How are we looking at that? And then how are we trying to create like these genuine aha moments with mm -hmm. our customers, our clients? Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think that, it, you know, maybe I haven't listened to it. Maybe it's on Neely's thing. Maybe it's on Chris's thing or anything else. But like, I don't think that's actually talked about. And to me, that is like a really, like that is a send and a suffer because like, you know, you just have to yeah. go into coaching every day, expecting to like, expecting to lose and expecting to win in a couple things. And like, so what I always tell my kids mm -hmm. is like, Hey, you know, okay. And every time I'm like making moves or assigning movements, we call them coaches moves or move assignments or limit bouldering mm -hmm. There's a million different names. But, um, mm -hmm. I always tell my kids, I'm like, all right, this is gonna be real theoretical today. So everything I make up might be way, 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 way easy or stupid, stupid, stupid hard. Or it just might be the yep. dumbest boulder you ever come. But I need you to just be cool with me and let me experiment and let me try some new things. And most of the time, I think the kids are like, yeah, let's do this. Oh. Yeah. But, but um, I think that's like a thing that like coaches have to be okay with. And I don't think people, and I think people think that we like just magically make these moves up or we have like this secret little book that like we have like a yep. million different, like I have a book that has 400 different V4 boulder problems on it that I can make for you on a spray <laughs> wall. Which one am I going to do today? You know? And, that, and like, yep. that shit doesn't happen. It's just more of like, you know, uh, you know, we, I don't know. I'm in, I'm going to shut up here for a second, but like, I know for me, it's like, I definitely like, 
I, I assess my client when they walk in their mood, their overall energy. And that's it. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, damn it. Like, I really want you to do this today. But like, you are just not in the freaking headspace for this. And this is just not going to work yep. out well. And so you kind of got to change your whole game plan or you can still do the same thing. It's just, it's a whole nother approach. And I guess, do you find that a lot with your adult clients or with your kids or kind of both back and forth? Like, what are your experiences like in that, like mental prep part? Like you, you know, in the parking lot, about yeah. to turn the car off and about the game is on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, like when I approach coaching, I'm coming from a perspective of, I, I want to know what my goal is for that day, but it also largely depends on, uh, what, that people are feeling like kids and adults, you know, I think in general with kids and adults, both, I kind of take a Socratic method of like, I'm not going to give them answers. I'm just going to ask, ask them questions and try mm-hmm. to get them to ask questions. But mm-hmm. you know, it, it really does. Like the best thing I can equate it to is like going to a party, knowing I'm telling you this from a rapper's perspective, going to a party, knowing that people are going to ask you to freestyle. <laughs> Cause uh... you're like, okay, well, I need to, I need to have something ready, but I'm not going to be able to prepare fully. Like it's not going to be a scripted thing. It's just going to have to be a back and forth, a conversation because with freestyling, like for freestyling to be really effective, man, you, you can't just recite something that you've written. You have to be able to point things out that either happened that day or something that's in the room. You know, you need to be able to think on your feet and that's how I approach coaching is I take that, that mentality of like, okay, I'm prepared in the sense of I have experience doing this and um, I have like an itinerary to follow, but I may not necessarily follow it. I mean, a lot of times, like, dude, I, you know, even at the Nike Rock Gym, we have a way, like things we're supposed to teach. Sometimes I just look at it and I'm like, okay, and I put the book down and I'm like, we're going to try some of this. And if, if I see it's not working, it's going to, we're going to switch. We're not going to talk about that. I'll tell you like the very first experience I had with coaching kids was actually pretty terrifying because, um, I had to, it was, I was working with a very small group of kids. It was three kids, but these three kids were going to nationals. Um, and my, the head coach was like, I want you to spend the next month working with these kids and get them ready. And I, this is, you know, mind you, I have no experience with coaching kids. I don't know. I just have my experience teaching adults. So I was terrified and I wrote out a program and we, there were some days where I would try, I would try weird shit, dude. Like I would, I remember this one exercise I had them do where they were doing systems training and I had, um, like there were three of them, right? So one of them was always, one of them was climbing. Another one would be balancing on like an endo board and they would tell, like when I pointed to a hold, they would be balancing and then they'd have to say like left hand to the blue crimp while they're balancing. So it's like, they're trying to focus on two things at once. And then the third one, that's real clever. It was just, (laughs) yeah. And and like, so some days I felt like, and I felt like that was a pretty successful exercise because they were systems training. They were working on like hand eye coordination and being able to focus. And then, you know, there was time for them to rest. And then I would have some days where I'd have them do, like a power endurance exercise and it was way too hard and they would just get destroyed. And I would just be like, shit, I fucked that up, you know, but there's no way of knowing that that would be successful or a failure. Cause I could have them do that same exercise a week later and and it could have been totally fine. So I think I just very early on learned to accept that 
as a coach, you're not, you can't, the point of being a coach is not to always do what's best for your, your kids or your adults. Like it's to try, but you're just naturally going to fuck up because you're a a human being. So the point is just to be a source of support for them and kind of guide them as they go through their successes and failures. And really, I think personally, just stepping back, I don't like, a lot of people want direction in rock climbing. They want to know how to do it quote unquote, right. And you're probably starting to see a theme in how I think, Yeah, but But I don't think that's that's not a thing. Yeah, that's, but that's not a thing. Mm -hmm. So I've had a kid tell me that and he's just like, tell me how to do the boulder, you know? And I'm like, and and I'm, and I always related to, I, I related to cooking and I'm like, uh, you know, I'm like, have you ever cooked food before? And they're like, yes, like something. And they're like, they're always like, no. And I'm like, have you ever made macaroni and cheese? I'm like, yes. And they're like, every kid has made macaroni mm-hmm. and cheese at least once in their life for themselves. Uh, if you mm-hmm. haven't, you haven't lived. Uh, but, uh, you know, and I always tell them like, okay, so do you add any salt and pepper in your macaroni and cheese? And they're like, no, but I've had it with it. And I'm like, well, how much salt do you know to add? And he's like, I don't know. So why don't you add a little bit? And this is, this is how rock climbing goes. It's a little bit of salt. Maybe we'll add a little bit more pepper this time. Yeah. Maybe we'll add a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. But like, there's a phrase that I've said for years and rock climbing is a tremendous amount of failure, especially bouldering. Bouldering is a tremendous amount of failure for one glorious moment of success. And you just ride that high. And uh, actually one of my, my first, very first podcast with my homeboy Malik, much love to you. Um, He he talks about sending his first 12A outdoors at Fujimata. And he's like, he's like, dude, we recorded that podcast maybe like almost like four, maybe six months after that thing. And he's like, I'm still riding that high to the very end, (laughs) you know? And I think like, I don't know, man, I think that's like a big thing with it too, is like, I think kids and adults and like people, like people say they understand they, how much failure is about to happen. People say they understand yeah. like all this work is going to happen, but it's like when you're telling people like, and Chris, Chris says this all the time, you know, he was like, well, how long have you been strength training? Well, man, I've been doing it like two weeks. And I'm like, like <laughs> and I'm, you know, and I, 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 every coach on the, uh, is listening to his podcast. It's just like, Oh my God. You know, like you don't even, you haven't even gone through it yet. Yeah. I I always tell my clients, like, it's like you, in order for like really like metabolic adaptation for your body really to adapt to what you're doing. If you haven't done minimum six, minimum six on average, but it's six to eight genuine (laughs) sessions of your workout that has been written for you. Like if you kind of like, do a couple things and then you post your workout and not do your workout. That day doesn't count. You got to write that day off. Um, but if you haven't yep. done like six to eight genuine sessions, it is very yep. hard for anyone to see any kind of improvement. And if you've done 12, like you're, you're, you're moving, like you're gaining. And that's like, you know, two days a week or three days a week of a general fitness program, you know, and, I think for climbing, the same rules apply. It's like, you've got to put at least X amount of sessions just in to see the game changes. And like, that's just the way it works. Yeah. A hundred percent. And also like, I mean, you just, I love what you just said. Cause it's so true. People will be like, I'm not seeing any gains. And they'll be like, what, what week are you in? And they'll say, yeah, like two, three, maybe four. And it's just like, you don't even really, 
the other thing I try to tell people is you're not going to see the real game until after you do the training because the rest and recovery is where the, the games happen, not while you're ripping your body apart. You know, like, it, yeah. and if you just, I think that the power of rest is something that we as, frankly, we as Americans don't take advantage of, but no. especially rock climbers, I feel like they think that you're just supposed to grind, grind, grind and tear your body apart, tear your body apart. But what about like letting it rebuild? You know, I, any, any good trainer will tell you, yeah, you have like a six to eight week cycle and then you have two weeks off or two weeks of low intensity, you know, kind of just climbing around for fun, maybe doing another sport and you'll come back and you'll see, Oh wow. Like I am stronger, but it's just people just always want to put their hands on things. Like they always want to feel like they're doing something yeah. tangible. And that's just not how rock climbing works. I don't think. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's like, it does boil down to, you know, people get send fever. It's just like, you know, in Everest or wherever people say they're going, they get send fever and they just want to get to the top. So, 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 mm-hmm. so, so, so bad. And yeah. it never works out. Nope. And, and the other thing too, is that, um, I tell, I've been telling a lot of people at Nike, this is like, if you, if you don't enjoy everything that leads up to sending a route, then you really probably shouldn't be setting goals to projects. Because if you think of it this way, like, you know how you say, like you, you get that send and you ride that high, right? Let's say you spend, your goal is to climb whatever grade, whatever grade you want to put into it. And you spend six months, getting ready for the outdoor season training and you hate every second of it because you don't like training. You don't like the process of projecting. You don't like failure. And then you go and you do send the route, you know, you're going to have, you're trading six months of misery for 10 seconds of validation because guess what? Once you do that route, you're going to probably celebrate honestly for like, you know, a few minutes and then you're going to go, well, thanks to our culture. Anyway, you're going to go, okay, what's next? Like if you do a 12 a you're going to be psyched and you're like, all right, now I need to do a 12B. And, and so like, I just try to really tell people it's great to have goals, but you really need to enjoy the process. Like I love bouldering because I love the process of falling off of something and then going, huh, what could I do differently? And just the, like walking through it is what I love. I don't, I mean, of course I love sending things like that's dope too, but I just try to tell people like, you know, you, you have to love rock climbing for what it is. And rock climbing is like, one percent sending <laughs> it's like it like and why would you is there anything in else in life that you would do that you only enjoy one percent of it'd be like having a job and being like i hate everything about the job except for when i when i first log into my computer like that's i really like that part so i'm gonna stick with this job because <laughs> i like that one piece oh my god of, that's of so true job. that is so you know like true yes so like why that's just how I try to tell people and you know that a lot of people it goes in one ear out the other and that's fine but I just really think that to be successful at rock climbing you have to enjoy the whole the whole shebang not just the glory part of it you know yeah no I agree with you I think that's like it's just, yeah, man, it's, it, you stated it earlier in the previous show. It's like most people, what do they want? They want to be able to watch Chris Sharma do a bunch of climbs. And then they're like, all right, Chris Sharma did this. I'm ready to like just freaking go to town. Let's like, let's just do this yeah. thing. And then, you know, in all reality, like that's just not how it freaking works. Like it doesn't work that nope. way. 
And, you know, I think, I think we're saying something, this is, I think we're saying something that isn't new to a lot of people and a lot of seasoned climbers. I think what people don't do though is, is like when it gets hard and when it's like, um, when it gets hard and when all that stuff happens, that's when, when it gets hard, you need to teach yourself how to start enjoying it. I think that's basically the way I want mm-hmm. to say that. Like, that's what really yep. needs to happen. Oh, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Man, coaching is wild. So I guess now, are you still coaching more? Or are you setting more now? Um, I, I think it's like 50, 50 right now. Uh, like, so when I went to the Nike rock gym, I was mostly under the, the guise of being a setter, you know, that was the main reason I was hired. But like, I, like, I, I think I kind of said this last time we talked, we all kind of do everything together. So we all help write the programs, run the events. Like we, we do the whole thing. And recently I've actually kind of backed off on how much I set and I'm really, much more into like the teaching side of it. And I'm starting to get to work with kids again. It's just tougher because, you know, there's there's not like a climbing team like there was before. Um, So I'd say like 50-50 I'm setting and coaching. So wait a minute, there is no, like there's not a competitive team or a recreational team at the Nike Rock Climbing Gym. I'm saying that right, Nike, right? Yeah, yeah, the the yeah Nike Rock Gym. Uh, there, no, there used to be one, but there isn't now. It's a relatively small, like pretty small gym, and you know, obviously Nike does not overtly invest in rock climbing. Now I say that, but also uh, when I when I moved to work there, they just redid the wall, and it's an amazing, amazing wall now, um, and it's small. But yeah, there's not like there's not a legit climbing team, um, and I just think that's just because we haven't. There used to be one, and we just haven't really had much attention on that part of it for a little while. But yeah, I mean, that makes it's, a, it's an awesome place. So, if you don't mind me asking, like, why did the team fall apart, or, or fall apart, or just, just stop to exist? Because I only say that is there's there's a gym here in the area, Dino Rock, and it's a great gym. It's been around forever. Uh, it's a little bit of, mm-hmm. you know, and it's named Dino Rock Dinosaur, uh, but it is mm-hmm. still a fun for, a place to go and rock climb. But it's one of those things that Jim has historically had a hard time keeping a team. And, you know, yeah. like Ryan Antony's, Ryan Sewell, like some major players came out of that gym. Um, so mm-hmm. like, like it's able to produce good quality talent. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it's like, why has it never been able to retain it? And I was just curious, like, why do you feel that, um, like, the why did the team end? It's just out of curiosity. I think that it, there's a couple of reasons. I think one is just that, you know, the, the, the Nike rock gym as a whole has seen a lot of, it's changed hands quite a bit. You know, people tend, don't tend to work there that long. It's much more of a like entry level job for like, you know, people tend to work in like the fitness centers there to get jobs elsewhere. And, um, yeah, like I think, I think that's part of it. So I feel, I feel like high turnover rate and, you know, the people that are invested in it don't, don't stay forever and i also just think like in general it's just not something i mean nike as a company hasn't really you know outwardly embraced rock climbing and i don't mean that in a bad way you know i'm trying to like how do i say this without sounding bad and end up getting fired but yeah like they just haven't really said like okay climbing is a priority for us you know like we're gonna put more uh, energy into it and um you know i think 
think a lot of that is, they, is that they don't think it's popular enough or they don't think there's space for them. But I, I think there is like perfect space for them personally. So yeah, but that's just me doing conjecture. I don't really, I know that like one of the people who used to run the climbing team is really big into USA climbing. Like they have a really big role in it. I can't remember. Um, I can't remember what she does exactly, but yeah, like I think once that went away, like the team kind of dissolved and, um, now it's just like, we just don't have the, the resources to really keep a team going. Uh, I would love to see a universe where that changes, you know? So, uh, hopefully it happens. Now, when you say Nike, are you talking like at the actual shoe company, Nike? I just now realized that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know this thing <laughs> yeah. exists. Okay. When you kept on saying it, I was like, man, that's such a weird name for a gym. But. Oh yeah, no, I mean it. it <laughs> yeah, it's uh so the gym is um the gym is on the Nike World Headquarters campus, which is out in Beaverton, which is a suburb of like just outside of the Portland metro area. And um the reason you don't know about it is because they've intentionally kept it secret. And um, you know, honestly, um I don't even think I'm allowed in some capacity, I'm probably not even allowed to talk or post about it. But I kind of just, I, because I haven't been explicitly told I couldn't do it, I, I just know that it's been kept secret. I, I kind of just want to talk about it anyway. I mean, it's, it's very difficult, as you could probably imagine, to go to, like, the Setter Showdown or some clinic and people are like, where do you work? And for me to be like, nowhere, <laughs> you know? No, I'm, I've been telling people I work at the Nike Rock Gym because I think it's dope. I think it's a really cool thing. Um, and yeah, it is for real. Like it is on the world headquarters campus. It's a legit climbing gym. It's beautiful, like state of the art. We have really good route setters. I'm one of them. Um, and we just, you know, it's just for some reason, I think they, I mean, obviously it's a big company, so it wants to keep things secret, but I, yeah. just, I don't, I, well, I don't know. I mean, and that makes sense. That's how I look at it anyway. That makes sense to me. I mean, I only say that because I've always wondered, you know, with the climbing shoe game, I'm like, Nike, where have you been? Like, like what do you guys, I'm saying. I'm saying. So, hey, Nike, you know, if you need some love, you need some, you need some people to help you out. I'm available. I will make myself available. Just throwing that out there. That's what I'm saying. And I think they know that they could do it. I think it's just a matter of they're they're looking at it as. I mean, this is all obviously. I'm not a not a white man that runs a, a big corporation. So I this is my perspective. But I feel like. Um, they're thinking one climbing isn't a big sport. So what, you know, there's not money in it for them. And two, they probably also think that the people who have climbing on lock, like people like Sportiva and stuff, they, they're, they're always going to, they're not going to be able to match them in terms of quality or notoriety. So they shouldn't that like, what's the point of trying to enter this very specific niche market where there's already like domination and they're not even going to make that much money if they were successful anyway. But there's two, but my counter argument to both of those is one, climbing is growing way, way, way faster than any other sport. And it's changing a lot more than, than most sports. And the people who are coming into climbing are not what people think of as rock climbers. They're not dirt bags for the majority. Like they're not dirt bags that, that grew up climbing in Yosemite or someplace like that. These are like, majority of rock climbers are gym climbers or people who go outside like maybe once or twice a year, but they're mostly in a gym. They don't know what Patagonia is. They don't know 
what Osprey, like they don't really care, but I bet you they know what Nike is. Everybody knows what Nike is. Yeah. So no. I feel like if Nike were really thinking about it, they would, they would just capitalize uh, on people who are new and trust their brand. Uh, I think you're right. I think they could easily slay because like, you know, if you know, like I said, Patagucci, if you know them, you know, those brands, mm-hmm. but I do agree with you and they probably, you know, well, well, everybody leaves money on the table sometimes. So I guess that's their bad, but mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you yeah. know, and <laughs> it's, uh, it's unfortunate. I hope that it changes just because like I said, it's not about, I think that they're thinking of it wrong. I think they're thinking they have to compete for a very small audience, but they don't, they don't, they shouldn't aim for people that are already like heavy into what they want. They should aim for the new climbers that don't know anything and, and they don't have to make the best product and they don't have to say that it's the best product, but it can, they can intentionally be like, this is an, honestly, like this is an entry level shoe. Like it's meant to get you through your first year of climbing. Like the rubber is not still C4. Black Diamond did the same thing. And it will, yeah, they, you could just as easily. And I actually think that the technology that went into the Black Diamond shoe is, um, it, it, it kind of looks like the fly net material of Nike. So I'm almost certain that there's some cross pollination there. So oh, it's yeah. like, why aren't you just doing, why aren't you just going for it? Um, you know, like it would be so easy for you to enter climbing in the sense of like, yeah, okay. We're not, we're not sportiva, but we're, we're for the every, I mean, again, it goes back to my mentality of like climbing should be for the every man. And Nike could be that every man brand for rock climbing. You know, that's supposedly what they aim for in terms of diversity and and inclusion. That could be their total shoe. And they already speak about equality in their rhetoric a lot. Like, dude, I'm telling you that this is why they don't let me run companies because I would have been, would have been done did this. (laughs) You know what I mean? I think, yeah, that's a whole nother story, man. And I think that's like why diversity in diverse companies and diversity in companies, those companies always do much better in the long run. And so uh, I, I pick up what you're putting down. I pick up what you're putting down. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and again, I think the way that I'm approaching it is I, I kind of knew going into it that people at Nike were going to tell me, no, Nike's never going to embrace climbing. You need to accept it. But um, I'm, I'm looking at it as a grassroots sort of approach where I'm just going to, I'm going to go around and be who I am and make friends in the industry and, and show up and be a, a, a good person in the climbing world that works for Nike. And that's just naturally going to start the conversation of, huh, I wonder why, you know, Nike's not into climbing. And then, you know, I, my, in my world, I would be getting, you know, get more and more people wearing Nike stuff and being in it while they're climbing. And it's just going to be kind of like, I mean, honestly, the, the become a thing that I'm looking for, it could, yeah. Like it, it could be the way that skateboarding became a part of Nike culture. It wasn't Nike didn't go after skateboarding intentionally. I think it was the the, the dunk. That shoe just happened to be a shoe that skateboarders like to skate in. So it wasn't. I think Nike, and I could be wrong on this. So if someone wants to correct me later, they can. But I think that Nike saw that skateboarders loved the dunk, and they're like, "Oh shit! I guess we should kind of like celebrate this, huh?" We should start making, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so then it just became a byproduct of the culture already accepting it. So I think that's what needs to happen for climbing. I think there needs to be some product that Nike doesn't necessarily make for rock climbing that climbers end up using in a certain way. And it becomes part of the culture or a certain person 
or group or cult- cultural thing that is associated with Nike needs to be brought to climbing first. And then Nike's going to back in and be like, oh, yeah, we did that on purpose. Yeah, like, we enrich climbing now. <laughs> um, yeah. That's that's my approach anyway. So I'm trying to, I'm starting at the ground roots level of just like start conversations with all the people that I respect in the industry and just kind of getting them to ask those questions to themselves. Like, huh, why is why aren't they getting into climbing? You know? Yeah. No. And so like kind of doubling back on the uh, coaching theme. So we talked, we were talking about like coaching. Yeah, we kids. Got way off topic, yeah no, we're like, I don't <laughs> even remember where we were. Like, I think we're like, you know, we're off the coast somewhere. Uh, but like doubling back to climbing and coaching climbing. So like, I know for me, one of the things I always tell people who like or employees are working at the gym and we talked about this in the previous episode of like making your way and your path through coaching. I've definitely have told employees mm-hmm. like, you know, if you start coaching or you start working with people, you will immediately get better in your rock climbing. Uh, and I mm-hmm. think, I think that's one thing that people don't realize. Cause they're like, well, I don't know how to coach. I'm like, you're not trying to teach people how to be, you know, you know, Paige Parson or, you know, who, or, you know, Hazel Finley, you're really trying to just make yeah. people enjoy rock climbing and make subtle changes. And what I always try to tell people when they first, I'm like, when you're first coaching, don't worry about like trying to get them to send the boulder, just make the, what they're doing look prettier. And if you make mm-hmm. what they're doing look prettier and more fluid, then when you start putting more difficult holds on there, you'll be easy able to, you'll be easy, it'll be easy for you to tell where the failure in the system is happening, like where the failure in the mm-hmm. mechanical system is happening. And that allows you to kind of really step back. And, um, I don't know. I think it will allow you to step back and really kind of look at rock climbing a little differently. And you as a coach, I think mm-hmm. you'll learn more. I think you actually kind of take a lot of anxiety off of you. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you from, my personal experience that it's not really about, it's never been about experience or having like a competency in knowing things about coaching. It's more about how you talk with someone and, and the ways you make them feel. Cause you can tell people facts about training until you're blue in the face, but if you can't speak to them in a way that they hear it, it doesn't matter what you tell them, you know? And mm-hmm. in that same token, you know, I'm not, I don't have a background in personal training or, you know, uh, a professional background in, or, or I do have a professional background, but I don't have an educational background in it. My background is in architecture it has nothing to do with training, but I do understand people. And I, I, I feel like a lot of my experience and a lot of my success from coaching comes from building relationships with people and Absolutely. understanding, understanding people and knowing how to work with them, you know? And I feel like if I had the resources of being a, a CPT or something like that, I would just be t- 10 times better because then I would, I would understand more, but I feel like I'm doing all right for not knowing, like only having anecdotal and firsthand experience with training and just using, kind of using my body and my climbing as an experiment, you know, like I'll try different training yeah. programs and see how they affect me. It's, and of course, like everyone's different, but it's just nice to know, you know? Yeah. Actually that kind of really kind of is like nice that you say that, that you reinforce that because I always have a rule and one of my clients, Rachel Berger, I have been Berger Bergs, the mighty burger is what everyone calls her. Mm-hmm. This is what I call her and I don't care what everyone else calls her. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, I always tell this, 
you know, she knows that nine times out of 10, I have run through the entire workout program that I'm going to run her through. Or I'm gonna like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm going to be really experimental with you. And I, we're going to run through this like four week program and we're just going to see what happens. Um, yep. 100%. I think that people just don't think that that's like that's really kind of how it happens. And like, you're kind of figuring this out, but as a coach and this kind of like segues into my next thing that I kind of want to talk to you about. And we, we briefly touched on this before, like, and I think this is like our kindred spirit connection between us, but, um, you know, we both are really self-taught coaches. And I think, and I think that's something that like people don't really truly understand um, mm-hmm. like self-taught coaching, it's different when you grow up on a team, because when you grow up on a team, there's expectations, mm-hmm. there's ex, there, like, there's all this knowledge that you're already, you know, pre yeah, that you have. And, um, I think when you come into the sport as you and I have, I think what you end up really getting is, um, this kind of idea to framework of like, and this is, I'll speak for myself. Like I knew what rock climbing was supposed to look like. I knew what I was supposed to be mm-hmm. achieving on the wall. And I knew how I wanted to be. Cause I always, I, I feel like I always had a really good ability to kind of step back from rock climbing and envision what I looked like on the wall. And, um, I think that is what allowed me to kind of like really look at coaching and, you know, previous sports I've done track and field, a little bit of wrestling, but track was my main love. Um, you know, I think like, so allowing myself to look back made me realize like, okay, Hey, when I'm coaching this person or I'm trying to do that, I'm just trying to improve the way they flow and move on the wall. And so I think a lot of my coaching in the early beginning was mental along with some basic drills, you know, like your basic four by fours, your basic blocks and things like that will make people one footed climbing. All these things will make someone a better climber, but really stepping Mm -hmm. back and like understanding what I'm trying to see was always kind of like a really scary thing because I wasn't, I felt like I was wasting my people's time, but what I, yeah. In hindsight, what I realized is I was paying so much attention to every single little move that they were mm-hmm. doing. Uh, and inadvertently, mm-hmm. that's what made me um, uh, that's what made me a better that's what made me a better coach. And it's like slowly mm-hmm. over time. Yep. Absolutely. And just like, I mean, even, even with focusing in and making like really being attuned to how a person's responding to something, I think that that's what makes a good coach. It doesn't really have much to do with knowledge. It's more about, again, it's more of a conversation of like, they do something, they tell you how it felt. You tell them some advice and response. They tell you their thoughts and response. They try it again. And like, um, you never really know what will get through to people or when or how. Like I, the very first experience I actually had with coaching someone technically was, um, I, I told you I, I started working at the Ball State Climbing Wall. That was my first exposure to climbing. And we had a climbing club and people were, um, we, they wanted me to lead a climbing, intro to climbing like clinic. And um, I taught like three very basic rules about rock climbing. I think it was like, like number one, use your legs. And number two is like uh, rest. And I can't remember. It was three very, very basic rules. 
And after I was done, I was like thinking, man, I don't know if they even heard what I said. Like, it just seems like I was talking to them a lot. And then I remember someone came to me later that night and they were like, hey, I just wanted to let you know that like I got to the top of the wall here for the first time because of what you said to me. And I just really, really appreciated everything and just like the the what you gave to us. And that was really cool. But I think what was what made it even more impactful for me is I knew that there's no way this person just like took everything I said and absorbed it immediately and then immediately applied it. I just, I think that having a conversation with someone and, and you know, offering them dialogue and having them ask questions just kind of empowered them. And then they ended up doing it themselves. My goal as a coach is to, and I tell everybody this, my goal is to be like that, that sensei that like two thirds of the way to the movie is gone, you know, and they're like, yeah. oh, what am I going to do without them? And then they realize they didn't even need you. You know, that's what I want to be. I don't want to be, it's like the teach a man to fish sort of thing. You know, I don't want to be constantly having people come to me and say, no, you're not doing anybody do any this? favors. You're definitely not doing anybody no. any favors. Yeah. That's like, that's yeah. definitely, that's definitely one of the things like in my lesson planning, you know, and I definitely have to, uh, you know, this is actually another thing I want to say in a little bit, but definitely in my lesson planning, like I always tell people like, all right, my goal is to have like one or two lessons with you a month or maximum three. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm doing four or five lessons with you and you're not like going to the world cup, then like, what are we doing? You know, here <laughs> realistically, like, I mean, you can give me your money, but you know, you can just buy me a beer instead and we'll be cool. Uh, Yep. And I think that's the thing is, is like with coaching, a big part is like really a lot of it is just talking to them, building relationships and letting them know that like this is going to be kind of a road and a struggle. Uh, and mm -hmm. this is not going to be one of those things where we're like, OK, like, cool, we do this, we do this, we do this. And then you start to see results. It's like like it's going to get worse before it gets better. And you need to accept mm -hmm. that you need to accept that you're going to have no idea what you're doing. And I'm going to even be telling you, yeah, that looks great. And you're going to be like, I feel like a freaking buffoon, but mm -hmm. I, it's like, I tell the kids all the time, like if it feels weird and awkward, it's probably right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Cause you haven't done it before, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, hey. Yeah. Going back to the self-coach climber though, like, we both talked about setting routes. Um, that was like the big thing that actually really helped us understand movement. Um, mm -hmm. uh, is there anything else that you felt as a self-coached coach for climbing that you, like a moment or something that you remember that really kind of stood out to you? Like, oh, like this taught me a lot. Hmm. That's a, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think, um, Let's see. I think that uh, one of the biggest things that I learned was, um, you know, just a little bit of focus and a little bit of planning goes a long way. So I, I remember the first time I wrote a training program for somebody. Um, it was this guy named Sam. I haven't talked to him in a while, but he's a really good guy. And he, um, he wanted, uh, like, I had this thing at my old gym where I would do climbing assessments of people. So it was very subjective, obviously. But what I would do is I'd have like these sliding scales on a piece of paper and I would pick out a bunch of routes for them to try. Some of them would be way out of their range, but I would just have them try them anyway. 
And I would give them like a really quick rundown of things that I saw in their movement and the way that they approached beta and like if they got frustrated about certain things. And then I would say, based upon these recommendations, I would say this kind of program or this sort of advice or a technique will help you. And, you know, sometimes people will be like, well, would you just write me that program? And I'd be like, yeah. So I wrote him this strength program and it was very, very simple. You know, I think he, he, he struggled with lock off. I saw that. And he also just struggled with core strength. So I just gave him a really rudimentary, like, <laughs> I can't even really verbalize it, but it was very simple. Like I wasn't telling him to, to watch his macros and like, do I was just telling him to do these different lock off exercises and do like this core exercise once or twice a week. And when you climb some like once a week, focus on locking off. Like that was really it. This dude, like it's like those weight watcher commercials. He lost like so much weight in a good way. Like he lost a lot of weight. His like arms turned into cannons. He had his core strength just got crazy. And I just learned, I, it was so amazing. The thing that again made it amazing for me was not, was not, uh, it wasn't just the results. It was that I didn't really tell him to do all that much, (laughs) you know, like I was just like, yeah, you should probably lock off some more, maybe do some V ups. And, and, you know, six to eight weeks later, he's like, he's completely physically, but, but it's because I gave him very specific, very small things to change. And he focused on those changes and really, really did them. I think as a trainer, we can get into the habit of being like, oh, well, you need to do this. You also need to do that. You need to focus on this. Keep your core tight. Keep your hips in. No, like usually with people, I try to tell them like, we're going to just focus on keeping your feet on the wall. Like that is, we are not going to talk about, you know, how to hold a pinch, how to do hang. Like we're just going to focus on this and this alone for six weeks. And people just like when you give them just one thing instead of like 12 things, I think they really, it's easier to make a change that is permanent based off that. And now like, you know, that what used to be his weakness is now his overwhelming strength. And, you know, now he has a new weakness, I'm sure. And that, and then you would just, and that's kind of how I approach training too. is in cycles of like, okay, right now my core is shit. So I'm going to focus on my core right now. And I just prefer to do that. And like, one, because it's nice to have variety. Like, I want to always be doing something different because I could just focus on everything at once. But one, it's confusing. And two, it's, it would provide, it would just be too consistent for me. And I would like to have variety. So I like to do cycles where I'm like, right now I'm just focusing on my core. But right now I'd really like to get my my uh, pinch strength up. Or I just basically follow what I'm curious about. And, I, and that's what I try to get climbers to do too that I work with is, just focus on what you're interested in, in rock climbing and just do that for a while. Don't worry about the rest of it will just come, you know, like I didn't, I didn't expect him to lose any weight or just jump up in strength. Like he did. I just expected to balance him, but he just really, I think the small little structure I gave him, gave him a a chance to just let go and not worry. That's it. it. He wasn't worried about what to do because he had advice, whether or not it was good advice from me, he had something and he trusted himself like, okay, well I, I have a plan. Like I just need to execute it and just like have fun with it. And he, and, and the rest just kind of came. So I think just that was the biggest thing I learned from that is just giving someone, giving someone a little bit of structure and just telling them like, now you go run with this. That's where 
the real change happens, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, dude, I definitely... I definitely agree with that. And simple is better because if it's way too complex, so you remind me of a statement that I say to people all the time and I'm like, I'm going to write you a program that is so dirt simple and so easy. You should feel Mm -hmm. guilty for not being able to keep it up. Like if I tell you, I'm like, oh, how's the program going? And if you're not doing it, you're like, oh man, this thing is so easy. Shit, I don't want to. I don't want to tell them that I haven't been doing it. It's like it's not that hard. Yeah. But like consistency equals games. Like that's just it's flat out. Yep. Like, that's just the math. Like if anyone wants to know the math to getting better at rock climbing, is you know having a plan of some sort. Which you know I would recommend just see your local trainer, professional. Feel out. Feel free to reach out to us. We're both coaches, um, and you know, <laughs> and just being freaking consistent because like. It will yep. happen. It's not going to happen the way you want sometimes, but it will guaranteed happen. Like it's just, it's the way nature is. It's the way the laws is. If you consistently do your workout for six weeks, you will get better. Like it's yep. unless something, Absolutely. unless something goes terribly wrong in between this whole process, you will get better. Yeah. And I'm sorry. Uh, I have to cut the, the conversation short because I have to get to a meeting. But the last thing I do want to say is that, um, like that's another reason why when I make my workouts, I try to make them simple and I try to make them short. Yeah. You know, people think you have to be in the gym for hours to be, no. and then like people, you know, a lot of times when I come to, like I'm working with someone, I'm like, how often do you, like when you climb, how long do you spend here? And people will say some wild shit. They'll be like three, four hours. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you know, yeah. unless you're just like purely socializing, like there's no reason you should be training for, I have never written a workout that is longer than 90 minutes. And usually my workouts are like really more like 60 minutes. And that includes the warm up. <laughs> and that's, it's just because you don't need to spend that much time. Dude, like one of the first, and, and I think part of this is again, because of Chris Hansen, because the first training program I ever actually did was his Boulder strong program. And every workout on there was like, you know, you warm up for 20 minutes you limit boulder for 25 and you hang board for 15. And then at first I was like, what the fuck? Like, is this, is this going to work? Like, this is so short. I damn near can like do this twice in a day. But I, I was like, I trust him. So I'm just going to stick with it. And I swear, man, like that, that was like a, a big turning point for me where I realized like, Oh, like it really doesn't take that long. And I, and I, I kind of like that about climbing anyway. Like I didn't want to, be in the gym for hours. I came from a background of football and, you know, you spend forever in the gym lifting weights. And I just hated that shit in terms of like spending so much time. So I love like, I'm in here, I get my workout done. I get the fuck out. I'm trying to get, uh, trying to go out for the night, you know, like I have a life. And I think when people see that, like, Oh, you don't have to, I mean, you really do have 24 hours in a day. And when I say that, I think I'm saying like 24 hours is a lot of time and you shouldn't, I don't want to say you, you shouldn't waste it, but you don't, it doesn't take four hours no. a day to get better at rock climbing. No, no it, it, it doesn't. It even just be a half hour. No, it doesn't. You know? I, I'm definitely guilty of being one of those people who's in the gym for four hours, but people are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I rock climbed for about an hour into 30 minutes. And then I rested for about 30 mm-hmm. minutes, ate lunch, did some work. And then now I'm going to do some core and some strength training and then I'm done. And then like, that's like mm-hmm. the most it is. Cause you're taking a, a legitimate break 
in between, but Mm -hmm. I agree with you. Like if you're just focused solely on climbing and you're just trying to get better by climbing, which is a thing you can do to a certain extent, 90 minutes Mm -hmm. is really all you need. Like, like two hours tops, two hours, absolute tops. Really like 90 minutes is like really what you need. And you can, you can see a lot happen. Well, I know you got to get out of here. Um, I do, however, want to ask you, I asked you permission last time to play one of your other songs and I, I want to play synergy on the way out, uh, (laughs) just because it's my new favorite jam. Uh, yeah, yeah. And this, uh, this new little, this little do haggy allows me to do that. So yeah. Here you go. Lane code means I'm, I'm with the it, man. means forward. <laughs> it, so this is we so we funny watch. to hear. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. This was so fun to make. <laughs> way, 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 way up. So if you guys, thank you guys for listening. If you guys haven't already, look, please check out his music. Go to Instagram, check him out. That's the one place to find him. Evan, thank you for your time. I know you got to go to work, so we'll talk again soon. I'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks again for another awesome combo. Oh, anytime. I got real ass projects in the Red River Gorge. I got niggas saying they already got on the force. I plan two trips a month, 30 weekends in total. Now I'm stuck up in the house and I'm still getting older. I got gym. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, as you can tell, I had a lot of fun talking to Devin. He is a rad dude. Um, please check him out. Support his music. As you heard, we went out on the track that was straight fire. So check him out. Find him. Tweet him. Talk to him. He's on all the things. Reach out. Um, the previous conversation that we were talking about will be released soon. Um, I am working on a black and brown people of color s- series. And my goal is to empower you guys with thoughts, information, tools to be an ally that will turn into a comrade. And if you are black and brown or you identify as black and brown or other, uh, hopefully, these conversations that are coming in this series will make you feel less alone and make you realize that there's always someone in your corner. And that person is definitely, definitely, definitely me. So thank you guys for listening. As always, stay rad.